0: The okay. the church now
1: job, kids. That's a lot to do with all
0: those cameras pointed at you. If you'll please stand with us and sing along. Keep your camera phones in your pockets.
1: Boys and girls, to come up here and have a seat with me. All right, boys and girls, how's everybody doing today? Good. I'm so glad to hear that. I've got some things I wanted to, to share with you this morning. Um, let's see. Does anybody know what this is? May have any idea what that is? It's not a credit card. It's my driver's license, right? Um, it's my driver's license you know what this does for me that's right it lets me be able to drive if I don't have a driver's license then uh, I have a problem because I can't drive and then I'm stuck at home forever and ever unless one of you guys turns 16 and come give me a ride okay so this is my driver's license do I have to do anything to get this do I just do I just I have to take a test right which to take a test I have to study I have to study for a test, right? If we take a test, we need to study for it. And thankfully, there's a book that you can read, and it helps you know how to pass the test. And then you got to get in the car and drive it with somebody who who makes sure that you're doing it correctly. And if you pass all those things, then guess what? You get one of these. And don't ever do anything dumb that would make you lose it, okay? Your parents will thank me for that. Okay, I have something else here to show you. You might know what this is. This is a little trickier. You might know what this is. Not a driver's license, right, not a credit card. This is this is my hunting and fishing license. This is my hunting and fishing license. So you know what I have to you know why I have to have this? Why do I have to have this? So I can go hunting and fishing. So so let's say I want to go hunting. Can I just go grab a gun and go out in the woods and shoot me a deer? No. Well I, I could, but that's called poaching, and poaching is illegal. Okay? And so in order to not be a poacher, I have to have one of these licenses. Now, do I just go get one of these licenses, or is there something I have to do? Sort of. Sort of. You guys, if your parents like to hunt and fish... Uh, you're going to take a, you're gonna have to take a test. I had to take a test. I had to go onto the computer and watch a class and, and be in a class so that I could learn, so I could know what to do if I, if I went out in the woods and, and went hunting. I have to, I have to do that to, to get my license. I have to study and take a test to get my license. Well, i got something else here. Does anybody know what this is? A check? Nope. Somebody, somebody that can read can read it. What's it say? right there at the top. A magic magic license? No, it's not a magic license. It's a marriage marriage license. It's a marriage license. Now, so if you can follow where we're going here, to get a driver's license, I have to take a test. I have to study and take a test. To get a hunting license, I have to study and take a test. To get a marriage license, do you think I have to study and take a test? You don't. You don't. Isn't that crazy? That, that something, as, something as serious as getting married, to get a license to get married, you just got to show up, right? You don't have to study and take a test. But you know what? Where did marriage come from? Is that something we made up? No, it's something that God gave us, right? In Genesis, very early in the book of Genesis. God gives us marriage. Uh for he gives us he Adam and Eve were husband and wife. It was the first thing that God made after he made Eve is God made marriage. And so God gave us marriage. Do you think it's something we should take very seriously? It is, right? And so so you guys are all thinking about getting married, right? Yes? All right, we got one. We gotta we gotta take her here, okay? So I know you guys are a long way from thinking about that because I know boys and girls all still have cooties, right? Yes. Your, your young ladies, your daddies say yes. Uh, boys always have cooties, okay? Um, but always remember that, uh, that marriage is a gift that God's given us. It's something that we should cherish and, and take care of. And, 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 and where, do we, where do we learn how to be married? Is there, is there a test we can take or a book we can study? There's a book we can study. You know where God tells us what he wants us to do with marriage? It's in, his, it's in his word. It's in his book. He tells us all he wants to know about how we can be married and what that looks like. And so it's good, even as little boys and girls, to begin thinking about how God wants us to have relationships and what those relationships look like, okay? Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the instructions that you give us on, on how our lives should, should look, Lord. Even, even the relationships that we have, these boys and girls, are a long way from thinking about who they might get married to one day. But Lord, I pray that they would understand that those instructions come from your word, and your word can be trusted. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys. Stand We are, we are members, members of the body, life. therefore, a man, a man shall leave his, his father and mother, and <laughs> the fast his life, and two shall become one flesh.
2: This mystery is, is
1: profound, profound, and I'm saying in Christ Christ the first Christ's church. Father, father, thank you and Christ church. Father, father, thank you for your word, word. Thank, thank you for how it teaches and instructs us. Lord, I pray that you might speak to us today that we might follow the right things that you've given to us here in Jesus' name. We pray, amen. Thank you, seated.
2: <coughs> I, if you're, if you're about out for some, some reason, reason i want to let you know, know uh, that
1: you can catch our worship live. I haven't figured that out yet. yet. I know I that some so folks try to go to Facebook, Facebook yeah. and, and access it from their, from their Facebook app or whatever. You can't do that easily. So if you're trying to do it on, uh, via Facebook, you can't do it from your phone via Facebook because Facebook blocks those things now in their, in their application. So there's a couple of ways you can do this. If you're homesick, you can actually watch it from your desktop computer or whatever you can go to the Facebook page and there's a tab over on the left that says live worship services or something you can click on that and actually view it there or the easiest thing is just to download the app so that it's on your phone or your iPad or whatever and that's that's the easiest way to find that so, um, Or you go to the church webpage, and it's there, uh, there on the church homepage, nbcnoonan.org. So if you're home or out for any reason, just know that it's easy to find, but it's, not a, it's no longer a live Facebook broadcast. So if you were thinking, why is it not a live broadcast anymore? Because Facebook got funny with some of the copyright stuff, and we decided to let them, let them go, go their own way. And so we've got a different hosting ser- service now. It will show on Facebook. You just can't access it directly uh, like you once were able to. So I just want to kind of give you those, uh, that little bit of instruction so you know where to find it if you are out or home for any reason because uh, no one would ever just skip church for the fun of it. You would obviously only be home for a valid reason. And so, uh, so I just want to make sure that you've got a valid reason to, uh, to be at home for that. You know, in the fairy tales, it seems that every prince and every princess always rides off into the proverbial sunset to live happily ever after. The villain is vanquished. The challenges are all put behind them. Life is like a box of chocolate. I mean, life is like a bed of roses. Um, The star of our fairy tales, it it seems that they never have to worry about paying their mortgage. It seems that they never have to balance a busy schedule. And it seems that they never have to deal with challenging children. That's why we don't see very many sequels to fairy tales. (laughs) I suppose that's why they call them fairy tales. After all, no one really wants to see a movie about the struggles that Cinderella and Prince Charming faced when Prince Charming lost his job and nearly lost their castle. Nobody really wants to watch the movie where Belle and the prince, formerly known as the Beast, struggle with their marriage counseling because he's got anger issues. Nobody really wants to watch a movie about Ariel and Eric struggling with children who are looking for their identity. No one really wants to watch a movie about Princess Aurora and Prince Philip's struggle with infertility. Those aren't the fairy tales that we want to see, but it's very much the story of our lives. The fairy tales are indeed just that. You see, those fairy tales that were the stories that little girls listen to and plan their life after are actually a very long way from real life. We've been conditioned to think that the storybook ending is what happily ever after has to look like. If you've been to weddings, you've seen the decoration, we begin our happily ever after. Now, I've always told couples that come to me for premarital counseling that I'm, I'm glad to do premarital counseling, but, but I would really just prefer to skip the premarital counseling part and just about two months after the wedding come back in for the same amount of postmarital counseling. Because after about two or three months, the reality sets in that this really isn't a storybook after all, that there really are things going on that that we're not equipped to deal with. We may have a license to be married, but we aren't equipped to handle the things that come our way. But if that's the case, if the storybook ending is really what happily ever after looks like, then happily ever after really is out of reach for any of us. Because our stories are the struggles with children looking for their identity, the struggles with bills that can't be paid, the struggles with with infertility of a couple trying to have a baby. Those are the struggles of our lives. Those are the struggles that we face. And so Happily Ever After really is just a storybook that we can't ever reach. But as we continue this this sermon through the end of Ephesians chapter 5, I want us to really begin to answer this question. How then do we find our happily ever after. How do we find that happily ever after that that we long for even though the storybook ending seems so out of reach? Over the last two weeks, I've sought to accomplish two things. First, I've sought to define God's call of submission in a culture that's overwhelmingly hostile to that idea. We are living in a day and time where people reject any concept of submission, whether it's submission to authorities. And keep in mind, that's not just local authorities. We see we see submission to any authority being something that's that's rejected and 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 really rebuked as a culture we're living in that time where where any concept of submission is 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 really not appreciated any longer. But secondly, I've wanted to demonstrate from scripture where we got off track. Where where we got off track from where God's original design was. Paul alludes to it here. It was it was for this reason that he created male and female that they, they leave their mom and dad become one flesh. How did we get away from from this picture of marriage that we see in the beginning, how did we get away from that? And what exactly are the long-term consequences of that departure from God's perfect standard? And the reality is that I've spent the majority of our time for the last two weeks kind of looking at things from a negative standpoint. I've been the marriage cold water committee, I suppose. But I'd like for us to embrace the correction, because God, God gives us a correction. We know where we got off track. We know where, where the rails came off, so to speak. How do we get back on track? How do we get back to that place where God would have us to be? And it is here where the Apostle Paul tells us exactly what God would have us to do. It is here that we begin to see how we, in fact, clean up the mess that we've made and how we can truly begin to understand something of this happily ever after even when it's not always so happy. So how then do we find it? How then do we find it? The first thing we have to recognize is this. When we're talking about marriage, particularly as Paul is dealing with here, success and failure cannot be based on feelings of happiness. Success and failure cannot be based on feelings of happiness of happiness. Whenever I do premarital counseling with a couple, one of the first things I want them to understand is that their marriage cannot be deemed a success or a failure based on their happiness quotient. It simply can't. Unfortunately, happiness for us is the easiest metric for us to handle. We all know immediately whether we're happy or not. You wake up in the morning and you know if you're happy. You know that if you went to bed and you didn't sleep good last night, you wake up in the morning or you get out of bed because if you didn't sleep, you probably didn't really wake up anyway. Well, you know, if you're happy, you're probably not. You're probably not. It's it's an immediate pulse check, kind of what your happiness quotient is. If your boss calls you in and says, I'd like to give you a raise, you walk out of that office and say, well, I feel pretty good. Happiness is a a byproduct of that. If your boss calls you in and says he's not satisfied with your performance and you've been given a, a professional review or you've been written up for something, you walk away from that meeting and you don't feel very happy. Happiness is something that's easy for us to diagnose. It's easy for us to to measure. It's easy for us to recognize. But as we all know, happiness is fleeting and erratic. Happiness can be engineered out of nothing, right? It can come out of nowhere. It can also be eradicated by the simplest problem. The simplest problem can eradicate your happiness. And so while we may look for happily ever after, I'd like something deeper than just being happy for the rest of my life. I'd look for something that's got a little more uh, staying power than being happy for the rest of my life. While we certainly can strive for happiness, no one would ever say happiness is not something we should strive for. The truth is that our marriages have to be more than just a constantly moving barometer of how happy we feel. They have to be more than just a constantly moving target of what happiness looks like. You see, for the Apostle Paul, he recognized that marriage was much more than just this barometer of happiness and how we feel. For Paul, Paul actually ties marriage as a picture of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. At the same time he does that, he challenges husbands and wives to a bigger call, to a greater challenge than just making sure that everyone is happy in that relationship. You see, Paul's challenge, it's amazing, it gets to the very root of how we are made. It gets to the very root of how we are made. And this morning, I want to begin with the men. I know that ladies are addressed first in Paul's order, but I want to flip that this morning and begin with the men. Pretend for just a moment Pretend for just a moment that the submission piece is not part of the conversation, because that's what people get bent out of shape about today. Wives, submit to your husbands. Well, I don't want to submit to that rascal. He's, you know, da-da-da-da-da. That's immediately the response that we get. I don't even want to talk about this because he's not worth submitting to. Those are things that I hear on an unfortunately fairly regular basis. Let's pretend that that's not part of the equation. Just eliminate that from your minds for just a moment. Obviously, it's in Scripture. We can't take that away. But just let's pretend for a moment that it's not there. How many of us would be blown away? How many of us would not delight in knowing that those who love us love us like Christ loves us? Think about that. I mean, what, what's to go wrong with that? How many of us would not absolutely delight to know, not even talking about husbands and wives, I'm talking about moms and dads and children and friends. What if we knew that the people who claim to love us loved us with the love that Jesus loves us with? Is anybody going to complain about that? You know, I got this really good friend, but man, he sure loves me. He loves me like Jesus loves me. He would give up everything for me. What a friend I've got, huh? You know, my parents love me sacrificially like Jesus does. They care for me. They provide for me. They love me more than anything I can fathom. It drives me crazy. Well, no. That's, that's nonsense. We all, if we knew that the people who loved us loved us like Jesus loved us, none of us would complain. None of us would complain about that friend or that parent or that spouse. None of us would complain about that level of love. See, it doesn't matter if you're male, female, married or not. If someone loves you and loves you like this, that's a relationship that should be thriving. Well, how exactly did Jesus love his church? It's pretty simple. He died for her. He died for her. He paid such a great sacrifice for her. He protects her. He strengthens her. Now, let's zero that in a little bit closer. I use just kind of a generic sort of thing, but let's be very honest here. There's not a woman alive. There's not a woman alive who, in the deepest part of her heart, that longs to know she is loved with that kind of love. There's not a woman alive. There's not. You can show me the, the most liberal left-wing feminist on the planet and I can guarantee you that if you can strip away all of the cultural programming and conditioning that she would absolutely embrace it if someone loved her like that. I can guarantee you. I can guarantee you. Why? Because it's how we're made. It's how we're made. You see, this gets to the heart of God's design in creation. This gets to the heart of how God has put us together. It says we're told that God made them male and female. And I know that's taboo today, but that's still what God says. And not only is their biology distinct as we know it is, but we also know there's emotional and psychological differences between male and female. It's just the reality. It's not anything oppressive or cruel or mean or chauvinistic. It's just the reality that we are different. We're different. And that's okay. That's, a, that's, that's wonderful as a matter of fact because if we were all like men, ugh. My goodness. Show me a man who says, I wish we were all like men. And I'll show you guys off his rocker. God made us different. and And... and we got all this programming that gets thrown on top, but I can promise you that if you just strip all that away and get to the heart of the matter, there's not a woman alive that wouldn't appreciate being loved like that. Don't you know that Hillary Clinton wishes Bill loved her like Jesus loves her? You'd laugh honest to goodness. Honest to goodness. I guarantee you. And she may not own it, she may not say it, but if you strip it away, that's what you'll find. You'll find a heart that's beating and longing for that kind of affection and love. I promise you. Show me a daughter who wouldn't love for, to know that her daddy loved her with that kind of love. She doesn't exist. She doesn't exist. And this longing isn't a weakness. It's not a weakness. It's a matter of God's good design. Do we say that a car that needs gas is somehow dysfunctional? Well, no, because we know that a car is designed to run off of gas. And so we have to stop and put fuel in it because the car is operating as it is designed to operate. It's not a weakness. It's a design feature. And we recognize that this need is part of the design. So Paul here is not trying to reinforce some chauvinistic idea. Paul here is simply reinforcing the fact that there is a difference between us as male and female, and he is getting to the heart, to the heart of what makes us tick. So what exactly does this Christ-like love look like? Well, Paul answers this question. First of all, he says that Jesus gave himself up for her. This love that Paul is referencing here is sacrificial in nature. The basis of this kind of love, I've alluded to it all along for the last couple of weeks, is this idea of sacrifice. Jesus laid down his life for his church. He told his disciples that no man has any greater love than this, that he would lay down his life For his friends. Now, I can't think of very many real life scenarios where I might be asked to physically lay down my life for my spouse. I just can't think of many real life scenarios where that would happen. It could happen, but there aren't a lot of just real life scenarios where that might happen. But that doesn't mean that a husband doesn't make sacrifices for his wife. For instance, I need to learn to sacrifice the thermostat in my home for my wife, I need to learn to make that sacrifice. I get a fan, and fan if I need to. But that's a sacrifice that I should be able to make. That's a sacrifice that I should be willing to make because it's me laying down part of my life for her sake. For her sake. Why? Because I love her. Because I love her, and I should be willing to make sacrifices to communicate that love. You see, in our marriage relationships, though, it's very easy for us to allow selfishness to creep in, and sometimes selfishness creeps in undetected. Gentlemen, can I say this? That when you make sacrifices for your spouse, that is not weakness. That is not weakness. If somebody says you need to turn your man card in because you made a sacrifice for your spouse, that's a guy that doesn't know what it means to love his wife who asks for your man card. Because I'm going to be honest, when I look at my Lord Jesus hanging on the cross, dying for his bride, do I see weakness there? You know what I see? I see the strongest man that's ever lived who willingly lays down his life for his bride. And so, men, when you are asked here to make sacrifices for your marriage, for your spouse, when you are asked to lay down your life in whatever capacity that looks like, you're not weak. You're indeed one of the strongest men around, as we see from our Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, though, we see that there is this notion of spiritual leadership, that, that there is an appropriate form of leadership that, that a husband should exercise in his home. You see, Paul talks about the relationship between Jesus and the church, that he says that, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water in the Word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Now, I could spend a lot of time dissecting all of these statements. And this sermon that's taking place over about five or six weeks would take about another three or four weeks to go through all that. And I don't want to be doing this at Christmas time. So so I'm not gonna dissect each of these phrases, but what we see as a common theme between all these phrases is that this is the language of sanctification. This is the language of sanctification. Jesus watches over his church, his bride, to ensure that she is in a right place from a spiritual standpoint. Jesus is concerned about the spiritual vitality of his bride. Amen? You don't think Jesus is concerned about the spiritual health of his church? You better believe Jesus is concerned about the spiritual vitality of his church. He's so concerned about it that he provided a way that they could be looked over on a hands-on basis through the Holy Spirit. He has provided on-board onboard counseling for us along the way so that the church can be as spiritually healthy as it possibly can. Can I say this? Men, we have been abandoning this duty from the Garden of Eden. We've been abandoning this responsibility from the very beginning, and we have to stop allowing others to be responsible for the sanctification of those in our homes. We've got to stop. We subcontract out our responsibilities to Sunday school and youth groups and youth pastors and the church and every other entity when, in fact, the sanctification of those in our homes, gentlemen, falls on our shoulders. It has to. In homes where the husband is a nonbeliever, the only option is for is for someone else to take that responsibility. But in the homes of the majority of those represented here this morning, it is the duty of the husband to preside over the spiritual vitality of those in the home, period. It shouldn't be mom who's having to get the kids up and get them to church on Sunday. It shouldn't be mom who's making sure that the kids say their prayers at night. It shouldn't be mom who's making sure that the Bible's an important place in the home. Dad, where are you at? It's our job, gentlemen. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't shared responsibilities. It doesn't mean that that ladies don't take a role in that in the home. But listen to me. Gentlemen, if your wife loves Jesus, I can guarantee you that she wants you to love Jesus more than she does. Am I wrong? Ladies, if you love Jesus, don't you long for your husband to love Jesus more than you do. And if that's not true, then she probably doesn't love Jesus as much as she says she does. If this is the mandate, then why do we struggle so much? Why is this such a struggle for us? It's clearly explained. It's not not something confusing. Why is this such a struggle for us? Well, part of our problem today is that we have bought a myth that we should evaluate everything on the basis of how we feel. We, we evaluate everything on the basis of what our, our feelings are, how we feel. Uh, we don't think much anymore. Everything is about feelings. There's a Chinese theologian named Watchman Nee, and he told a parable about faith, or fact, faith and feeling, all walking in a line on top of a wall. You may have heard this before. Uh, we'll use a train to illustrate it. The reality is is that fact should be what feelings, what, what faith follows. Why do we have faith in Jesus? Because we have been exposed to a certain number of facts about Jesus, right? Like he rose from the dead. That's a fact that informs our faith. If Jesus does not in fact rise from the dead, the apostle Paul says we should be pitied that we are foolish people to follow him. But because we know that it is a fact that Jesus rose from the dead, then our faith follows that series of facts. The problem here is when the feelings that get drug along behind us, sometimes faith gets confused. And instead of following a set of facts, sometimes it likes to look backwards and follow those feelings. In Watchman's illustration, they fall off the wall because there's nothing left to to be in charge. There's nothing responsible there anymore because feelings really don't have any, any way to control themselves. See, as long as faith keeps his eyes on facts, he's able to continue walking without problem. And feeling then falls in line. But the second that changes is the second that things fall off the wall. Can I say this? You're not always going to feel like loving this way. You're not always going to feel that. It's not always going to be easy, convenient, nor desirable. Sometimes it's easier to stay angry rather than actually do what we're supposed to do as men of God. You're not always going to feel that way. You're not, you may not always feel that your love is being received or reciprocated but no matter what, you must choose to follow the facts. And for us, our facts are informed by God's word, God's expectations for us. I once heard R.C. Sproul illustrate it this way. He told the story of a, of a man who came into his office for, for marriage counseling. He came into his office, and, and the man said, I'm having marital problems. I just don't know uh, if our marriage is strong. I don't know what I'm going to do. And, pastor looks at him and says well the bible says that you are to love your wife the man says I know I know but but I just don't feel like the the romance is there I just don't feel like that we're in love like we once were I just don't feel that our marriage is how it should be and so the pastor says well let's try a different approach instead of your current living arrangement why don't you move out and move in next door to her Man says, move in next door. Why would I why would I think of moving in next door to my wife? Well, he says, if you're not going to be obedient to the Bible and love your wife, then maybe you should be obedient to the Bible and love your neighbor. <laughs> Man says, Pastor, I don't think you understand the problem. I don't think you get the the struggle that we're facing. I just don't know that uh that our relationship can survive she's she's bitter and nags and it's just a terrible terrible situation that we're in the pastor says well that's the best thing you could have told me man says what are you talking about he says well if you don't want to be obedient to the bible and love your wife and you don't want to be obedient to the bible and love your neighbor well at least you can be obedient to the bible and love your enemy It's a choice that has to be made that's not informed by how we feel but instead informed by the facts that God has told us. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Aren't you thankful that Jesus' love for his church is not like our love that we share for each other? Because the love that we share for each other is often fickle and often based on things that it ought not be based on. But the love Jesus has for his church is not based on that sort of thing. It's not based on how he feels about us today, because sometimes we make him angry. Ever made Jesus angry? I have. How do I know? Because I broke his law. I did what, I, I did what he said I shouldn't do. And so if he loved me like I love, then there might be days that he might not love me very much. But that's not the reality. Facts tell me something completely different. Facts tell me that he'll never leave me or forsake me. Facts tell me that he'll never break his promises to me. Facts tell me that he loves me with a love that's so great that I can't fathom the greatness of that love. That's what facts tell me. When we talk about our marriages and the relationships that we have within those marriages, feelings can change. Happiness can dissolve pretty quickly. But you know what? As quickly as happiness dissolves, a good marriage does not. A good marriage, a marriage that's informed by submission and sacrifice, is a marriage that weathers the storms that are the absolute enemy of happiness. A good marriage is made when a husband and a wife recognize God's plan for them and they choose to be obedient to God's plan for them. See, husbands, it began with us in the beginning. It began with us at the very start, and it continues to begin with us today. Men, love your wife as Christ loves his church. Men, lay down your life, lay down yourself for her sake. Men, tend to her spiritual health, tend to the spiritual health of those in your home as if your life depended on it. You see, what we need today is we don't need a new generation of Prince Charmings because I don't want a bunch of young men who think that the storybook ending is real. We don't need a new generation of Prince Charmings who, are, who can vanquish the villain, who can, who can win the fair maiden, and who can ride off into the sunset for their happily ever after. Rather, what we need today is a new generation of godly men who can lead their homes like Jesus leads his church. That's what we need today. And men, that begins with us today. We need a new generation of godly men who can demonstrate to their little boys what godly men look like. We need a new generation of godly men who can show their little girls how a real man treats a woman. That's what we need today. You can buy into all the trash that's being thrown around in our culture today. You can listen to the voices of chauvinists and feminists and alphabet soup folks, whatever you want to do. But I'm going to tell you that the place where you get your information the place where you listen, had better be where the facts are. It better be with what God has said. And if you want happy marriages, if you want marriages that are, that are satisfying to you and to your spouse and to all involved, well, pattern those marriages after God's standard, not after the world's. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for scriptures that are sometimes hard for us to deal with because they hit close to home. God, I confess that I don't always love the way that I should. And I suspect that if we were to just ask a show of hands that we'd see men all the way across the room today who don't always love like they should. Their love is... Conditional. Their love is something that they expect to be reciprocated. And God, sometimes that's just not the case. But God, that's okay. Because our model is not the world, our model is Jesus. And I serve a Savior who loves me even when I don't reciprocate that love. Even when I allow my own sin and rebellion to to interfere with that relationship, He still loves me. I serve a Savior who loved me before I was even considered lovable. While I was still a sinner, Jesus died for me. And God, if that is my model, if that is my example, then God, let me be that, that I need to be. God, the world doesn't understand this. And the world doesn't want to model itself after this. But that's okay. Because in the way that you've set this up, in the way that you've designed this, when we do this correctly, then the world can see the gospel lived out in us. so, God, we picked on fellas today. But, God, I pray that we might, as men of God, not bluster against that, not, not let our, our, our anger take over, Lord, but that, Lord, that we would listen and that we would be the men that we need to be. God, the picture for us is clear. May we seek to follow it today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I saw on Facebook this morning as I was getting ready. A picture of one of our deacons, the to girl at the daycare. that in Atlanta, and I thought, what a, what a, what a fitting illustration. What a Godly dance. showing the girl what a, what a. Gentlemen, let's be real with right. you. Be, be the, the God of God's to so And may our calls reflect on call that as, as, as we've been called to. We're going to stand together, together like to others, to and have a time for today. We're going to pray to you.
2: Many of you just want to pray for your family.
1: Maybe you need to take some steps today to get yourself together so that you can be the end of God's message. This is the time to do that. Our office will have been praying for your family today. We're going to sing and respond to the God. of
0: for mm-hmm.